Welcome to the podcast of RadicalRelationships.love. My name is Matt Unra. I have the awesome privilege of interviewing my mother, Darlene Unra. Mom, how's it going? <laughs> it's really good. Fantastic. So one of the things that we're really excited about with this podcast, and this is actually one of our first, is we get to talk about things that you've been talking about for a really, really long time and actually right. put them online. Right. Tell me a little bit about why we're doing this today. Well, I've just had so many people ask me where I got the idea about front row or giving me feedback that it's changed the way they think about life. I've had people interrupt conversations and say, stop, <laughs> I need to, I need to apply this right now. And so I'm realizing that if I wait for an in-person opportunity with everybody, it's going to take a long time. And you actually were the one who said, let's just get this online so people can share it with their friends. And then you made me be on it with you. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's difficult for me to just talk into a microphone. I need real people. That's fair. So uh, like you've already alluded to, we're going to be jumping into front row today. Please explain the, the basic tenets of front row. Why do we need it? What is it about? We all hear voices and we all have influences in our life. Some positive, some negative. Some voices make us feel like quitting. They make us feel small and weak. And some voices just give us courage. They're supportive and honest. So which voices I'm listening to actually determines sometimes the very direction of my life and how quickly I'm going to achieve some of the things that I've been dreaming about. So are these voices in your head? <laughs> sometimes. Every voice that um, has ever been expressed by a real person and if it's been at a moment that's really I've been vulnerable to or open to, it's essentially filed away in my amygdala, right? It's it's in my brain. And whether I remember the exact words or not, I will remember the emotions I had around that that conversation or those words. Sometimes it's not words. Sometimes it's a facial expression or a body language that basically expresses disrespect or just great delight. And those things we hold on to. So basically, if I could uh, rephrase what you're saying, and what you've taught me about front row is the power that you allow somebody to have mm -hmm. over you. That's Essentially, true. the volume, the amplitude that their words are raised to. So if they say something like, you suck... If they're in your front row, essentially yeah. one of those people you really know, like, and trust, and what they say matters, yeah. that would hurt way more than maybe oh. a third grader, and you're in second grade, and he's just like, hey, little Matt, you suck. Hopefully, yeah. I have him way far back in the row, so that way <laughs> right. when he says something yeah. negative, it doesn't affect me yeah. as much. Yeah. So we could go right back to the beginning. What I ask people to do is envision a theater, and you're on stage. You're looking out at a theater filled with the people in your life. So like your grandma, your grandpa. Yeah, but everybody. So did you get to choose your family? No. no most no. people don't. Um, did you get to choose your classmates? Did anyone consult you about who you're going to work with when you had those fast food jobs going through high school? Um, did you get consulted about your neighbors? Even once you've moved in, do you get to tell your neighbors they have to move or not? So essentially looking out at your theater you're seeing it filled with people that you did not get to choose and that can be a little unnerving it's like wow i didn't have any control about these uh with these people in my life which is true and we don't we don't have control over who is in our life we have control over where we put them in our theater so again you're on stage the people in your life the classmates the family the the work associates they're all sitting in those theater seating 
And the ones, as you alluded to, at the in the front row, closer to you, they affect you far more than the ones at the back. Because if it's a big theater, the people at the back row, if it's filled with people, you can't see their facial expressions or their body language. You can't you can't even hear what they're saying. It Whatever they're saying doesn't get to you. But the people closer to your front row and the people in your very front row, those are the ones whose voices impact you the most. Okay. And my next question would be, how do you do this well? So you can tell somebody, hey, don't let that person have a voice <laughs> in your life. Mm-hmm. But these people, if let's say it's a mother or mother-in-law or uh, a family member or your best friend in school all of a sudden you realize maybe I don't want this person to have as much of a voice as I thought they should have Mm -hmm. because they're not for me. They're not encouraging me. It's, it's quite negative. How do you do that? Well, how do you do that transition? Well, and not, and not just walk up to that person and be like, you're horrible. I'm cutting (laughs) you out of my life. Okay. Well that there's a whole lot of conversations around healthy conflict resolution and confronting people and teaching them how to treat you. But in this scenario, I would suggest that you have to do the hard work, first of all, to figure out who you want in your front row. Right. So the the questions that I pose people are questions like, who do you trust and respect to help you make great choices? Which is a very different question than who do you like and love? Oh, interesting. Who, who believes in you? Who wants the best for you? So you might have somebody who believes in you, wants the best for you, but you do not respect their choices. There's two different kinds of respect, right? Like one kind of respect is choosing to treat people well, but the other kind of respect, it actually goes up and down. It's, it's, do I admire that person? Do I think highly of their choices? So I can love somebody to bits, but if they're making choices that I do not want to follow, then I don't want to put them near my front row. So, and, and trust is a whole nother deal too. So you can have somebody that you think really highly of, but they haven't earned trust in your life. People will put strangers in their front row. They'll put movie stars or um, influencers in their front row and they don't know them personally. They don't, they, they think, they feel like they know them, but that person has never met you. And so to put them in your front row actually puts you at risk. And to speak to your specific example of what do you do with them if they're in your front row and you don't want them, do not tell them you're moving them to the back row you don't you don't you don't walk up to anybody and say okay that's it I don't trust or respect you anymore I'm moving you back this is something that you're working through in your head internally internally and some of sometimes you look at this and you go darling I want to move that person out of my out of the theater I want to escort them to the parking lot right it doesn't work that way their voice has uh, has been part of your story they're in a chapter in your life or they're going to be in chapters of your life all the way to the end of your life So you get to decide whose voice you're going to listen to. And therefore, if you're moving some people back, then when they say something that in the past had some power and sounds familiar and actually may even sound true, you take it to the people in your front row and say, is this true? Because you're trusting them to tell you the truth. They will tell you, you don't want just people in your front row who are nodding their heads, smiling. You're great. You're great. You want them to tell you when you've got blueberries in your teeth or your fly is down. You want them to tell you if the mic isn't on while you're on stage, you want them to help you make the best and greatest decisions of your life. They're people who are actually committed to you, you know, succeeding your best, your best and not necessarily 
what they think your best should be. That's the tricky part. Ooh, interesting. There's loads of people in our lives sometimes who who think they know what's best for us. So there's a lot to unpackage there. And and one of the things I want to unpackage first is you said there's a distinction between trust, respect, and love. Mm-hmm. So somebody goes, I love somebody. They have to be in the front mm-hmm. row. Or I respect them. They have to be in the front mm-hmm. row. Or I trust them. I have to be in the front row. What's the most important thing? How do you determine who sits in what row? Yeah, I would, I would challenge that. Um, because this is not about who do I like or love. That's a whole different picture. This is about whose voice is going to influence my choices in life. Because any voice, again, that makes you feel small, weak, want to quit, those voices need to go towards the back. Or if they're a voice that consistently leads you in the wrong direction, you find yourself foundering, well, maybe they don't have a lot of wisdom in this area. They may be wonderful, but you move them back. Like one time I had, I was, I was in a principal's office and I, I was sitting down explaining to her this aspect of front row because she said, tell me something you teach. So I started explaining to her about this. And I said, you know, you get to move people around in the seats according to, you know, the trust and a level of respect that you have. And uh, her response was, stop. Whoa. I'm sitting in the principal's office. Suddenly I feel like I'm a kid again and I'm watching her. She's saying nothing. But her head is bobbing back and forth. Her eyes are kind of flipping around. And I'm thinking, she's processing something. Either I'm getting kicked out of here or what. After a few moments, she turns to me and says, okay, proceed. I I just had to move somebody out of my front row. I don't know what I was doing laying them in there. I don't trust or respect them. They don't believe the best in me. They They don't want the best for me. So keep going. And you can imagine uh, a principal in that position would probably have (laughs) teachers that want their job or think that they're failing their students. Or you would have parents who are like my little Bobby who, yeah, he shot a kid with a crossbow, but you're not doing your job. Students. So she has a lot of people giving and voicing their opinions while she's on stage and she has to manage that well or else she will crumble. Plus her own family, plus the the voices from her past. Sometimes people have people in their front row who have passed away. Right. They're not even around. But those tapes are so loud and so consistent. I don't know if I answered your question, though. You said, how do you determine who's who should be where? Yeah, we talked about trust, respect, love. Mm-hmm. What's the most important determinant? And we had a lot of fun and moved somewhere else. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's get back to that. Yes. So you can have people in your front row who you don't love, but you really like and respect them. It's probably tough going to have somebody in your front to have somebody in your front row that you don't like. Right. Um, but for example, I growing up, you were not in my front row because I was a, I was you a were, child. You were a child. <laughs> yeah. And if I was going to ask your opinion on what vehicle we should buy, what career decisions I should make, you know, um, it 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 would put too much on you. It would be inappropriate. Right. It was. It would be wrong. Um. That's too much of a burden. So, you know, as you've not just aged, because it's not about age, but as you have become a person that I actually do trust and I do respect, you've moved way forward. When you were a teenager at times, when you were just being a little brat, as you called it, well, I called it a different word. Oh, I wouldn't pick up my socks. Right. So you were way at the back. So when you were like, why should I do this? I was not letting your input into the choices of my life have any bearing but I loved you I would have died for you it wasn't it had nothing to do that's what I mean when I say it had nothing to do with like or love and again respect thinking highly of um 
appreciating, admiring. Right. Who do you admire? Who do you appreciate? What is it about them? And keeping your front row really small. I see a lot of people making a big mistake of filling their row up with all their family, all their friends. That's a lot of voices. And it is not disloyal or disrespectful to put people in your second, third, fourth, fifth row. It's not because you're not telling them. You're deciding that if they're saying something that doesn't fit with the values that you have decided you want to live by, that's reinforced by the people that you respect, then you're going to let their words kind of slide off, if you will. It's like raindrops on an umbrella. They're not going to stick. They're going to say, you know what you should do with your life, or you know how you should invest your money, or you know what kind of person you should marry, or and and you smile and acknowledge it and like, hey, thanks for your input. You don't have to be disrespectful. You just don't let their words roll around in your brain and start second guessing yourself. You do double check anything that you're not sure of with the people in your front row. Now, for those listening, um, just so you know, we are we are people who love Jesus. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this podcast and we mention a Bible verse or something <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. that's just who we are and where we're coming from. Yeah. Doesn't mean that this isn't for you, right? but feel free so to good. take it as it is. So one of the things that I think is a cornerstone of what we're talking about here is that speak the truth in love mm-hmm. verse. Essential. And so if somebody in your life is not doing that, if, even though they might be speaking truth or what, what they have to say might be good, it might be time to turn down the volume yeah. or the um, how close they are to you on right. stage and right. be like, yes, what they have to say is good, but they're not speaking the truth mm-hmm. in love. So it's actually harmful for me in some ways. Yeah. And double check it with the people in your front row. Go, this is what they said. And they might go, hmm. There's an element of truth to that. What you did, don't know and what you're not hearing is how fantastic you are. You know, that like that is true. That area in your life needs some adjustment. And these other areas, they're doing really well. I'm really proud of you. Because we need, we are neurobiologically wired for wanting people to like us. It is really uncomfortable to have people dislike us. And we want to please people. Some people... Hardly at all, don't care at all. But a lot of us really feel uncomfortable when we know that we're moving against the grain of people that matter to us. Now, one of the things that we're also talking about is this this theater is is filled with people who are speaking into every part of your life. Mm-hmm. I this isn't to say that maybe when it comes to fixing your yes. car that your that your 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 best buddy who's a really great mechanic he can have a louder voice in that moment but if he turns to you and he starts speaking into your marriage that's when you can be like okay I I don't know if I respect him in absolutely. this area absolutely absolutely in in fact I use that illustration a lot you know in terms of um, learning to play the piano I'm not going to invite a trumpet player right to teach me things so this is in just the arena of life it's true and so you know alluding to being in people of faith the person in my front row front and center is jesus right like and the people i let close to that front row are people who look and act like jesus so jesus when he confronts me on things and when he even chastises me i feel his love right he doesn't want me to fail he he wants me to succeed and i have a very small front row it's like three people what would be, if you had to just go by averages, what you think makes sense? Now, everybody's going to do this potentially differently, but you talked about don't put, you don't want 50 people in your front row. Yeah. Then it almost lessens the value of front row. And then you're going to have, true. you're going to have people in the front, front row, in the front, front, front row, <laughs> right? So how many people would make sense in your front row, second row, third row? Where do, how many people roughly go where do you think? 
Huh, that's a good question. I think, well, like I said, for me, three is plenty in my front row. I probably have, I don't know, seven in my second, maybe about 10. It Maybe it looks more like a Wi-Fi signal as you, as you head right. out. Um, and that doesn't mean if somebody's voice in the, in the middle of the rows or at the very back, if their voice calls out and matches the words in the peop- for the people in the front row, that I don't really appreciate it and take it to heart. Right. I only take the stuff that matches. And again, I'm not just looking for yes people. I'm looking for people that will help me be, as they say, my best self. Now, this is also, so we've talked a lot about the receiving um, the receiving of input. Mm-hmm. What we haven't talked about is the depth of relationship. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a depth that you'll go to with somebody in your second or third row that you won't necessarily with somebody in your sixth or seventh? Does that For just sure. come naturally? I think that's, but that is something that's really difficult when we feel obligation. Like within families, it's like I should be able to share the deepest parts of me with my sister. But every time I do, she turns around and compares me to my mother and say, I'm just like my mother and, or she'll, she'll sabotage me in some way or hurt me. And I should know better. You know, you just, it, we're at war with how we want it to be. We have these shoulds and oughts in our head. And that's another podcast for another day where we talk about don't let people shit on you. But yeah. <laughs> uh, that he did say should. Should. <laughs> I know, S-H-O-U-L-D. right? S-H-O-U-L-D. Yeah, it's true. So getting back to the depth that we go with somebody, your sister, you you might have them farther back. And so there's, it's tricky to share it is. The, the depth that you would maybe it with is. somebody in your front mm-hmm. front couple rows. That's true. And some people are verbal processors and they're going to share everything with everybody or they'll just tend to kind of erupt every once in a while. So it's harder for them. Um, I'm more of a verbal processor and there's times in my life I've looked back and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I shared that. Like it's the oversharing or the inappropriate sharing or the or the sharing with somebody who wasn't trustworthy. Right. And they ended up disappointing again. And you went, oh, I, they weren't capable. They, or, you know, I, I gave them more than they could handle. Um. And we don't have to be ourselves up for that. It's just, it's disappointing. <laughs> and some people are internal processors and you hardly share anything with anybody. I agree with you though. When you talk about the depth may have correlations to what rows that they're in. And we're not saying that's just people... wisdom. Yeah, it's just wisdom. And we're not saying that the people in the front row have to be loud, extroverted people who are always no. telling you something. No. They might actually include probably more of the people yeah. who... Are, are quiet, good listeners. And when they say something, they've really thought about it. Yeah, it's not, it might. it's not, it's most likely not verbal diarrhea because if people <laughs> have that, they're probably most likely farther back in the rows. And that, that is an assumption though, because uh, I've seen some pretty fantastic, loud, cheerleading kind of people be great in your front row. Right. right. It's just, yeah, that can be an assumption. Okay. So one of the things that you do is you bring this into the classroom. What mm-hmm. is it like? What is it like to teach this to to students and what grades do you do you share this with? Well, I've started, you know, anywhere from grade five to university students. And I've learned that with grade five, six and seven, you tell them about the front row, but you definitely don't ask them to write it out because guaranteed they'll be looking at their friends. <laughs> I'm putting you in my front row. I'm putting you. Oh, yeah, you're in my front row, too. So I've got like 
the whole class. All of a sudden, now you've, got a, now you've got a coolness thing going on where it's like, <laughs> I'm level five, the row of my yeah. best friend. But I have received some emails from a girl. It was um, a girl's club afterwards because I tried to leave my email out for them just to do any follow-up questions. And she was like, that front row really helped me. She said, and I, I really know that I can love my friends, but they don't have to be in my front row. My grandma's in my front row. And she was just so relieved that it was okay. It's like I gave her permission. Um, because we're talking capacity and capability. Some people, we're all learning how to love. And it's refreshing for them to know they don't have to listen to everybody. And it's also refreshing that this is internal. So if you have a sister who <laughs> yes. assumes that she's in your front row, yes. you don't have to tell her, hey, you're kind of fourth or fifth. No, no. So She will notice if you're consistently not taking her advice. Right. She'll, you know, she told you to take that job or go with that boyfriend. And you're like, thank you. I so appreciate your concern. Now, this is, this is directly correlated to influence. Mm -hmm. So we haven't said that word yet. You brought it up. Yeah. This is, if you're in a front row, you have influence. Huge. What would you say to somebody who wants to be on somebody's front row Mm -hmm. if they want influence? Because there's people out there who genuinely want to care for their friends and family well. They genuinely, genuinely want influence. What kind of person do you have to be to be in somebody's front row, whether they know they're doing front row or not? So good. I'd go back to those questions. Is the person that you want to be in the front row for, do they know that you believe in them? Do you speak hopeful, encouraging, life-giving words to them? Do you see not just their potential, because that can be irritating. It's like, oh, I see your potential. Do you speak to, this is who you are. This is the core of you in a positive, encouraging way. Are you someone who is communicated that you want the best for them? Not tacking that onto a little naggy thing, but, well, I just want the best for you. That's why I'm telling you what to do. But letting them know that you're cheering them on. And when that person has a success, that you are jazzed for them. And also that when they're disappointed, that you are bummed for them, but you're not taking it personally. You don't feel like you've failed them or anything. You're just, you just want to be there. And then the other piece is, Asking yourself, am I somebody who brings trust out in another person because I'm not speaking negatively about other people? You know, it's tough when you're with somebody and they're constantly cutting other people down to not be pretty convinced that as soon as you're out of sight that they're going to be speaking negatively about you. It's just human nature. You're not even going to think you're doing it, but you're going to be like, I can't trust this person. Or if you realize, I have students saying, I want to tell my parents but I hear them talking about other people a lot. So on the, you know, my mom's on her phone. She's saying, well, I don't want them to do that. You know, I don't want them to tell grandma. I don't want them to tell grandma. I want to know that they'll ask my permission first to say, may I share this with somebody else? Right. Now you were, you were a parent. You got, you got three boys. Mm -hmm. Um, You would slide in between the rows. (laughs) If we're, for being, sure. if we're being honest, for you, sure. you would be in the front row some weeks and the sure. back row other weeks. For sure. What is that like as a parent to go through that and realize that, oh, my voice doesn't have as oh. much power as it once did? Oh, it's terrifying. And you want to just get louder and speak slower, like you're talking to somebody in a different language. And if you if you just say it one more time, surely they'll get it. Um. So that's when my husband and I both, my husband was the first, Kim was the first to go, babe, we got to focus on connecting first before directing, connect, connect, connect. So that's a workshop that he does. We have to, we have to bring that connection back. So to focus on the believing in you, 
the wanting the best for the person, being respectful, especially with boys, right? There were so many ways that I communicated disrespect in little ways, my tone, my eyes rolling to the side or a dismissiveness. So I actually started forcing myself to use words like Matthew. I really admire this about you. That meant I had to look around and see what I admired about you. Right. So it could be authentic and real. Otherwise you, you can spot baloney a mile away. And then, I mean, at first you'd kind of look at me like, seriously, mom, but I go, yeah, serious. And there'd be sometimes I remember I started doing this thing with you that just, you did not know what to do with it. You know how, when your mom says, uh, we need to talk. You're like, oh, oh I, I, I'm, <laughs> my wife does that now. And I still think I'm in trouble. My wife just turned to me the other day and went, I love you. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> what have See, I done? Yeah. So apparently that was a thing growing up. So right around you were 14 or 15. I started going, Matt, I need to talk to you. And so you'd come over and we'd sit on the couch and I go, okay, I've just been noticing how really well you're treating your brothers lately. And that is so impressive. I just wanted you to know that. And you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when it didn't, you and I try to keep it short. I was like, so thanks. I just wanted you to know. I saw it and I appreciate it. So it probably played mind games with you or something. Oh, it was but weird. It, it was super weird. But At first, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't used to it. And you guys talk about seven, seven, uh, seven to one ratio. Yeah. Um, what is that? encouraging what is that? words to one corrective word. Yeah. So if you say something negative to somebody about somebody, in order to get back to zero, it's mm-hmm. not like there's an even distribution of mm-hmm. or an even value on positive to negative mm-hmm. words. Negatives are so much heavier. So if you think of a scale in your head, the weight of a negative is about seven. At least. You know, seven positives at least. We've Depending said. how rough the negative one is. Too. So if you're somebody who wants more influence and wants more um, and wants to be in somebody's in somebody's front row or closer to the front rows, you might have to do a lot of uh, erasing yeah. of negative. Yeah. Oh, I've said this and I've said this and I've said That's this right. in anger. And yeah, maybe I say one or two nice things when I apologize, yeah. but it hasn't, it hasn't even come close to, um, you know, evening out the scales. Totally. It's true. That takes humility and it's going to be putting more money back in the piggy bank, essentially like just filling up that bank with honest respectful words and that's 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 the thing people who treat me with respect who want to hear what i have to say suddenly i am more articulate i can think clearer i'm a better person when i'm around people who respect me right um and probably once a year for the last few years i don't know if you've noticed it it's been on purpose um I will ask you, what can I do to build more trust? Right. That's, I, I haven't noticed it. And I, maybe I've noticed it once or twice, but this is, if you're looking to re- rebuild a repair relationship after coming clean and, and saying some nice positive things, the best thing you can do, as far as we found is say, what can I do to, to build more trust? Yeah. And that person might say, yeah, maybe don't speak into this area. Or or actually when you when you say you want to hang out more, I need you to initiate with me instead of just saying Actually do it. Right? Um it'll be interesting to see what comes out and and maybe be quiet. Give space for somebody to actually think about an answer right. cuz just cuz you asked doesn't mean that they've been thinking about it. So true. And to be able to say, "Hey, you know, um you don't have to answer right now." Cuz not all of us are fast processors. Right. <clears throat> yeah. 
I tend to think, I, I tend to be the person who says um, a couple hours later, oh, I should have said that, you know? So to be able to, to give that person that option, if you think of anything in the next day, I'd really appreciate it. And I'm going to check in with you in, in a, a day, just like thought of anything that I could do to build more trust. So when somebody asks you to, to explain front row in 15, <clears throat> 20 seconds, if we were to tie this in a bow before we give uh, whoever's listening kind of some pointers on what they could do at home to kind of really uh, dive into this well, how would you explain what this is really quickly? Actually, picture a theater. Fill it with people in your life and decide whose voice, whose face, whose cues you're going to pick up on because you trust them to help you make the best choices for your life. You have seen them live a life that you respect and that you want to maybe emulate in in a lot of areas. Um, Whose voice makes you feel stronger, more impactful, more hopeful, but you know it has honesty in it so it's not just full of hot air. It's the real thing. And bring those people close and the ones whose, even though you love them, adore them, whose voices are not building you up, move them towards the back. And, and people might go through this exercise and find themselves pursuing different kinds of people that they have maybe in the past. So true. So all of a sudden you're hanging out with somebody that maybe you thought was a little nerdy or geeky, or maybe somebody mm-hmm. who just wasn't the life of the party, or maybe somebody that you know, would encourage you, but you thought it was kind of weird because they would encourage you. And it's like, okay, why, what is the deal with this person? You might find yourself gathering different types of people that you haven't in the past. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you get to look throughout your theater and say, have I been keeping somebody further away when I might want to invite them a little closer to give them more of a chance because they have been consistent right? and they have integrity who they are when they're with me is the same as who they are anywhere. I think I want to leave people too with questions like what causes me to keep people in my front row who don't meet the criteria? So why do people stay there? Even why do though maybe they shouldn't be there? there? Yeah. Right. What is it in me that makes me feel like, is it obligation? Is it hopefulness? Is it, cool factor is it like what is it that allows people in my front row when they really have no business being there right that is such that i would counsel you don't put that person in your front row but i would sometimes we can give better advice than we live right oh if you have a sibling that you're also doing the front row for if if you're if there's say a grandparent that is you would be putting in the fourth fifth row for them but they're still in your front row for you Mm -hmm. why is that yeah yeah and to, to to Self-reflection just is really helpful. Not that you navel gaze and you spend hours and hours at this, but taking a few moments, go, what is it? And if you, again, are a verbal processor, sit with a safe person, hopefully somebody in your front row and say, I've just found this part of me. Can you help me explore a little bit? Because that is called self-sabotage. Okay. So we've talked about um, if there's people in your front rows who shouldn't be um, we've talked about moving people from the front to the back, people from the back to the front. These are all important exercises mm-hmm. when you've mapped it out. Mm-hmm. I am a story guy. Do you have a couple of examples of this just so that way people can fully comprehend? Maybe they've already got it and they're writing fiercely right now, but somebody who goes, oh, I understand why this is important. Right. 
Well, the two stories I like using is the one would be just when I started realizing the power of the front row. And that would have been when I was in grade seven and I was not an, a very athletic person per se, but I was very good at high jump. And my coach in track and field suggested that I throw in my hat for competing in the inner school event. And uh, I guess my, my jumps were kind of close to the provincial level. So they were really excited. My teammates were excited. And I was excited uh, heading into this competition where I had never competed before was just thrilling. So is that the, is it, is it springtime, summertime? It's springtime. Springtime in, in Manitoba. Winnipeg, so the, so yeah. the mosquitoes aren't out yet. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. And there's probably five schools and I came from a small school. So this was cool. I was at the very front of the lineup headed for the high jump and the whistle's about to blow. And there's a girl behind me from another school who taps me on the shoulder and I think she's going to wish me well. And I kind of incline my head and she leans in, whispers in my ear, you're going to fail. I, I was in shock. I was speechless, but I didn't have time to even process it as the whistle blew and I took off to jump the first jump. And do you know how low the first jump is? So this is the first jump that just says, hey, I'm here and I can use my legs to kind of get over something. Yeah, the bar is just barely above the bag. Right. Nobody misses it. Not if you're in competition. I I kicked it over. I, I froze. I was paralyzed. I don't have any words. It's that sports psychology. If I'd had any of it, they would have said, you got psyched out. <laughs> I don't right. know if that's a real term or not. But I walked back to the back of the line because you get two shots and the coach looked at me probably in shock you know their arms are, their hands are raised up and and i'm i don't know and i'm walking past my teammates who are in the lineup and they're they've got their hands up like what what's going on I'm, i don't know and i hear the girl behind me she's snickering because she cleared no problem of course because it's just a warm-up and she ends up behind me you know, on the second jump, Matt, I screwed up again. And the first time I told this story in a classroom, I realized, and I haven't jumped since. No way. I could have been in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you have it. Right you here, could have right had now. an Olympic mother, Olympic star mother. No. We've just all been bad at sports ever since. But, I, you know, that the power I gave her. Yeah. Did I trust or respect her to help me make great choices? Heck no. She was trying to sabotage me. What kind of person does that? Did she believe in me? Want the best for me? Of course not. And if I had taken a moment to just think, well, that's not what my coach says. And that's not what my teammates say. And as you said, in this instance, they're definitely in my front row. They're going to tell me the truth. Right. I don't think it would have bothered me. In fact, it might have even fueled me to go, oh, yeah, check it out. Yeah. Check out all, all my back row haters. Check out me make this jump. Yeah. So but that, she's, she's right in your front row. She's literally three inches from your back of your head saying, hey, you're going to fail. Right. Not even the person, the little person on your shoulder people talk about. She was the person on my shoulder. And so I'm sure there's people who let people in their yes. movie theaters based on proximity speak into their life. So good. So what do you do? Like you're, as I said, you, you didn't get to choose your coworkers. Like they might be in the cubicle next to you. And proximity is power. 
Right. Unless I am consciously moving them to the back row. Hey, back row person, you're thinking in your head. You know, not treating them disrespectfully. And that's really important. So here's here's my favorite story. Walter was 14 when he went hunting with his uncles. And this is in in the woods. He steps onto a sharp metal object that goes right through his boot and it's rusty. So the rust gets into his bloodstream. And do you know what it's called when you get rust in your bloodstream? It's like lockjaw, right? Right. Lockjaw is the first symptom. Okay. Uh, tetanus is the term. Oh, right. That he got. So so he contracted tetanus um, and his uncles recognized that and were terrified because in Canada at that time, only two people had survived tetanus. So, so this isn't something you come back from if you get tetanus in, no. in Canada at this time. What no. year is this? Oh, I don't know. 40s. Okay. And he... So that his uncles, and again, they're far away. They throw him in the back of the pickup truck and they sit on him. They sit on him because they need to keep his back straight because it is cracking. It's making these sounds. Oh, wow. Right. And even though he has not um, hit his growth spurt and is a little guy at this point, three adults are not able to keep his back straight. By the time they get to the big city, there's a space of about... I don't know, eight to 10 inches, I was told, between the bed of the truck and his back. So that seizure kind of held his back that way while these three men are trying to sit on him. They're they're flagged with sweat. It's crazy. They hook him up to an IV, put him in the hospital, and he's in a coma. Now, what you need to know about Walter is he comes from a family with six kids, and all of them died before the age of six, in part due to his father's treatment of the family and treatment of his mom where they lived and his abuse and neglect he was a a nasty guy his mom was an orphan from eastern europe and she had nowhere to go essentially but she was this bright and shining light to people in her community they would come to her if they needed to talk to chat to unload and she always had apparently a pot of something on the stove because she believed people do better when they're well fed (laughs) So he had this dichotomy in his home of his mother and father. And when he awakened from his coma after being in it for two months, he says that his father was sitting on one side and his mother was sitting on the other. And at that moment, he realized, man, if I would have died, I would have died being like my father. Oh, whoa. Because he was so focused on his father. He didn't love his father. He hated his father. But what you focus on, you empower. So he said, I would have, I would have died being like him. And he looked over his mom and go, that's the kind of person I want to be. And people said that he changed. He was a different Walter after he woke up from that near death experience. And actually, uh, talked to a lady who met the nurse who came out of that room when he was, uh, was awakened. And at that point, in, in his life, he had a choice to make. And in that choice, he ended up moving his dad towards the back of his theater. His dad had been at the front of his theater, not because he, you know, respected him or trusted him, the opposite, in fact, but because of proximity and because he had, he had just kind of let his hatred, his anger, his frustration, his pain consume him. 
Fast forward a few years later, he meets a beautiful woman named Elizabeth. Her parents are kind of concerned because, you know, he his dad has a reputation. And his friends are saying, hey, you don't have to worry about that. Walter is completely different from his dad. And goes on to marry Elizabeth. And throughout their married life, over 50 years, they have a marriage that other people point to and say, whoa, the way he treats her is amazing. And it wasn't just in public, it was in private. She said, he treated me like gold. They formed uh, several businesses, worked really hard, gave away a lot of money, very generous people, lived simply, and really walked out values that were the opposite of what he had experienced growing up. From his dad. From his dad. Uh, his son grew up and said his father was, Walter's my, my hero. He said, my dad's my hero. The opposite, again, of what Walter experienced. His daughter grew up feeling very respected. Um, her father would say things like, you, Walter would say things like, you, you can do anything you want, you know. And so she was able to treat herself with respect and marry somebody who treated her with respect. I mean, it's just, in one generation, he broke the cycle of abuse wow it's incredible and at his funeral 10 years ago was when I actually started hearing about how rough his childhood was because he didn't focus on it it wasn't like woe is me yeah when I was a kid my dad did this and it was like he didn't all those stories started coming out about how rough things were before because he had put his dad at the back of the row of sorry because he put his dad at the back of his theater now having said that remember I mentioned early on there's two different kinds of respect. He treated his dad well. You would have never known. Because they still worked together. They worked together. And he treated his dad very well, despite his dad never changing. His dad lived to a ripe old age. His mother died when his uh, kids were just preschoolers. But his dad lived to a ripe old age. And on his deathbed, Walter went to his dad and said, Dad, I love you. And his dad said, I never hated you. That's the best he got out of him. I never hated you. I never hated you. But he lives this life of incredible generosity. And I met uh, a guy who told me, yeah, Walter met me at a gas station, pointed out that my tires were bald. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a college student. And so Walter fills up his tank with gas and goes and buys him new tires. Like this is the kind of person he is, right? Pretty amazing guy. He put his mom in his front row, moved his dad to his back row, had a completely different kind of life. Because of the people he was choosing to let influence him. Absolutely. And most significantly, I can share this when I'm on this podcast that I can't share everywhere, is his mother's faith was what had made the difference. So he, he grabbed a Bible and he decided he wanted to follow Jesus. I know all this is true because I watched it. Walter was my dad. He is my dad. He passed away 10 years ago. He is still right near the front of my theater. His voice still has power in my life. I still feel him cheering me on. And he, he allowed me to grow up in a completely different environment than he did. The power of who's in your front row is enormous. And that, that brings so much hope for somebody who looks around and says, I don't have a whole lot of people from my front row. Right. There's a lot of people I don't want there. Right. But Walter just needed one or two. Yeah. All you need is one or two people in your front row that you really trust, that you really admire, and you'll be okay. Yeah. I had one teacher come up afterwards and say, I don't have anyone in my front row. I was like, wow, man. Now, it was between classes, so we didn't have any chance to talk. 
I saw him a year later and he goes, Hey, Darlene, I have two people in my front row. I said, Oh yeah. He goes, yeah. I realized I don't let anyone in my front row because I was an alcoholic. And if anyone would know, I'd lose my job. So I went to AA and now I actually have people who know me and I can trust and respect to help me get out of, because I'm, I'm sober. I've been sober for like a year. It's cool. Hey, that's so cool. So it's interesting how front row talking about this very simple concept of who you let influence you is really about what you want your life to look like. Oh, it's so true. Who do you want to sit in your front row means I want my life to look like these people. Yeah. And no one's perfect. So you're going to, if you're a person who's looking for you know perfection, you're not going to find it. But for me, if there's someone who consistently points me towards Jesus, has words of life and hope, I'm, I'm way more likely inclined to listen to them. And if they live out those, those truths, my respect for them is incredibly deep. Thanks for listening to Radical Relationships. Love podcast. We had a lot of fun recording this one about front row. Oh, so good. If you like this and want to hear other things like this or dive into other resources or maybe have Darlene come out for a workshop, check out radicalrelationships.love. 